I look like a fucking leprosy for the amount of skin peeling off my arms. <laughs> right oh, good start. <laughs> How are you guys doing? Welcome over here to the channel. If you guys are new, do yourself a favor. He is back with us today. I think over the next couple of days, he's going to be what, what? probably not with us. I have no idea what he's got going on. Pretty much, he's a busy man with a lot of big things on <laughs> On his play, the leprosy thing. Oh, anyway, so uh, we know that Russia's big day was today. They were celebrating how victorious they were roughly 80 years ago in World War II to fend off the Germans after receiving big help from their now rival, the United States. I don't know if you guys know this or not. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to go with a lot of people don't because the amount you, of people you didn't know it. I no, I didn't. I had no idea how much supplies we actually gave them and reading through some of the comments like russia did a lot of fighting they lost the most troops during world war ii yeah they did i know but but tell you guys right now during world war ii the united states actually gave the soviet union 11.3 billion worth of a military assistance which by the way is equivalent to 180 billion in today's currency the united states actually supplied them that is the soviet union with over 11,000 planes 6,000 tank and tank destroyers, and 300,000 trucks and other military vehicles. That means the United States literally supplied the Soviet Union with one-third of the explosives that were used by the Soviet Union in World War II. But today is their day for, for victory, mm -hmm. and it went really, really, really well. I mean, we gave them the supplies. They spilled the blood. Like, God, well, I'm talking about today's I mean, like not, I don't want to take anything away from the Russian you know, no, or you the can't. Soviet Union troops the Soviet, that actually you can't fought say the Russian. You have to say yeah, the Soviet Union, the Soviet like troops, the everything. Soviet troops that actually yeah. fought against the Germans. Like I'm not taking that away from them. No, I, I hope you're not because we're but, not talking about the Russians. Yeah. I'm just kind of making that. I'm just telling everybody. That's literally what happened. And this year's event wasn't nearly as large as the ones in past, in recent past. They had 10,000 troops and 129 military vehicles, which is down from last year. They had 12,000 troops and 191 vehicles. They actually canceled all the air shows, so all the stuff we were thinking about seeing, the Z patterns, the, the V patterns, and all of his planes, none of that came out. Nope. Uh, by the way, this is also a direct quote from Stalin himself on the matter we just spoke about. I don't know if you guys know this or well, not. if there's a better person in history to quote, let it be Stalin. Yeah, like. <laughs> I know, but I have to say this because this is literally a part of history. It's it, like no, it is. It's, it is. It's, it's very repeating. valid to the subject at hand. We're not yes. talking about all the genocide or anything. No, he, not he like I'm talking about the Lindley's because yeah. they're about to sign yeah. into today. It's about to be signed into law so they can actually shift over a whole bunch of equipment over to Ukraine really fast. So this is what Stalin had said because we gave them also a Lindley's, which gave them all that stuff. And I go on to quote exactly from Stalin's mouth. I want to tell you from what the Russian point of view is. The president and the United States have done for the victory in this war. The most important things in the war are the machines. The United States is a country of machines. And without the machines we received through the Lend-Lease Act, we would have lost the war. So there you go. And I'm, I'm talking about all this because this is Russia's big day. This is like their big, oh, this is like their, I, I guess you would say, our version of July 4th. Our, right. This is this is the way that they're so excited about this. They literally parade around it's inside a big of- celebration, man. With, with all their military equipment. Anyway, Putin actually claimed this today in his speech. And I quote directly from Putin. In Kiev, they have announced a possible acquisition of nuclear weapons. The NATO bloc began actively taking military control of territories adjacent to ours. That is not true, by the way, just so everybody is aware. Uh, as such an absolutely unacceptable threat to us, we must systematically create it and moreover directly to our borders. So he's pretty much saying that we are coming through and taking a whole bunch of land over, I guess, inside of Ukraine, which we all know. He claimed this without evidence, that Ukraine has been taking and seeking nuclear weapons and that NATO countries had been planning to attack Russia. 
without evidence. He's just going to throw it out there for everybody inside of their country to hear this. He also said this, by the way, I am now addressing our armed forces and the Donbass volunteers. You are fighting for the motherland, for its future, so that no one forgets the lessons of World War II, which I just gave everybody listening and watching this a lesson of World War II. So there is no place in this world for executioners, punishers, and Nazis. They are clearly being fed a load of crap here. Just because they are fighting to retake the lands that used to be had uh, when they were part of the Soviet Union. This has nothing to do with Nazis or the fact that Ukraine was threatening anything the Russian people with a possible invasion because we know that's not the case. There was no one inside of Ukraine that was about to invade Russia. NATO is not taking over Ukraine. Um, He's just trying to give them some sort of hope and reasoning for actually uh, sustaining these losses. Yeah. Like, this like is he's being trying real. to justify it. He's having to justify yeah. it to the people for the losses they've endured during this entire war. So, I don't know. That That's my thought process. I had to give you guys a little bit of history lesson, myself included. I didn't know we gave them that many tanks and planes or even gave them that that's much an money. That's insane amount. That's a ton. That's just a ton of money. The American people literally blood, sweat, and tears to build the stuff to give to the Soviet Union to then fend off the Germans. So, without Americans doing the work here in America, they would be speaking German in Russia. Awkward silence was there for a reason. Anyway, Russian State TV was also <laughs> hacked for some time today. If you did not know this, uh, I don't know if you saw this or not, but they're, they're, they actually put a message that read, your hands are covered in blood from deaths of thousands of Ukrainians and children. So that image you guys are currently seeing literally was on, like, a quote-unquote, like you say, like DirecTV or mm-hmm. whatever it is. When you would scroll down and it, yeah. instead of saying, like, Putin's speech, it literally said that across the screen. So they <laughs> literally yeah. hacked. Oh, anyway, I've also seen this circulating all over the internet since yesterday. It has been verified to be a real document by this gentleman right here. But we cannot say if it's propaganda and or not. This one is actually calling for whether it's 30. A, it, it being a real document. However, whether or not it was actually issued because there's yes. the handwritten stuff on there. like The 21 eh. was scratched out, turned to 22. Yeah, I wouldn't really scratch out. It was just turned. Yeah, I'm not. A, I'm not a handwriting two. expert. I no. can't confirm like any of that crap. But yeah, it's a real document. But the stamp was real. Everything yeah. on it was real. But it was saying that there's a 39 uh, year old man to be called up. It was. It was. was, was to this man, of course, uh, from the reserves inside of St. Petersburg, and has a report May 17th. So apparently, within the next week or so, they're claiming to be mobilizing the troops. We know. We have no idea if this or is, somebody this wants is it to true. appear that they're mobilizing yeah. more troops. Who knows? We don't know. We don't know. But this is, we can't see in the future, but we just wanted to show you guys so it's something to to take note of. And Western sanctions seems to be doing their job inside of Russia. We have a video I'd like to share with you guys from good old Russian state TV. Ученый, физик. Ну, они, так сказать, старше, сильно старше 
товарища, которые говорили, что более адекватного, да. более разумного и более гуманного человека из руководителей они не встречали, он ни разу Uh, he headed the NKVD during Stalin's purges. Uh, we had a conversation about this earlier. Right. He didn't really know who he was either. So everybody who does not know who the NKVD was, uh, which was myself, like I'm saying, it was the agency that was originally tasked with conducting regular police work and overseeing the country's prisons and labor camp. Yeah, so what you're saying is to prevent potential riots that's going to be brought on from food shortages, right, yeah. over the sanctions and everything, that they're going to... They're going to essentially be bringing in these Stalin-era guys in order to regulate the population. To literally stop a purge. They're literally going to stop like, it from happening, from bringing these kind of... This is what right. they're calling for. Like, do you really think the average civilian inside of Russia is going to wrong, want to bring back any type of Stalin-type purge to prevent them from rioting over food shortages, stuff being more expensive... Do I think? <laughs> that's what I'm asking. No. Yes, because that's exactly what they're calling for. Yeah, no, that's like, I know that's what like they're calling for. It's just not realistic. CNN and be like, hey, look, I mean, well, it's, it's realistic in Soviet Russia. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That you're going to bring in these people to regulate the population. Essentially, you're bringing in like groups of freaking, I, I don't, how do you want to call them? Bad uh, people. I, I mean, it's just <laughs> I people roam the streets with swagger sticks to beat people into submission. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, it's just, that's what it is. It's bad people. Yeah. Anyway, the 97th Ukrainian infantry, this is kind of a little funny note for you guys. Uh, anyway, he's actually issued, or they have actually issued a thank you letter to the Russian unit who on May 8th opened fire on its own troops. The leadership of the 97th Infantry, this is a quote, by the way, Battalion expresses its satisfaction with the actions of the Russian occupiers who used heavy flamethrower systems in the direction of its own positions. I believe they meant more like thermobaric munitions, essentially, is what they're putting here. Uh, such actions are positively yeah. perceived and supported in every way by the Ukrainian military. We understand that there is a tradition in cooking kebabs in May, but we may have one remark about smoking ourselves in Russia because in Ukraine, we are happy you are doing it. So they have basically sent over, they're trolling the Russian military for dropping munitions on their own for troops. For cooking their own troops literally. like kebabs. That's, that's exactly what yep. the Ukrainian military is doing. They sent this out uh, to the Russians. So there is that. That is kind of a... An interesting piece we haven't seen at all during this war. Senior U.S. defense officials actually stated that 97 operational BTGs are inside of Ukraine, which is up from 93 of last week. So it's up four of the last week alone, which are now operating in the north and southern regions of Ukraine. So we're going to move over to some mapping here for you guys. So the Ukrainian command has actually reported that Russian forces have been spotted starting to build trenches in the town of Kozacha Lopan, which is indicating they're starting to feel a little bit of the pressure of the Ukrainian assaults inside the uh, assault that is inside of the outer lying areas. We know there's an element moving here, also right through here, here, and here. Now, I know that Kozacha Lopan is actually right here, and for some reason my mapping did not actually save this. So this is the area we are talking about right now that the Russians are starting to actually set up a little bit of I guess of not a little bit, but heavily fortified defensive areas trying to maintain some of the ground they have. This could be indication that they are possibly feeling a little bit of the pressure. Then they know they're going to lose a little bit of the ground. Maybe well, they don't have the ability coming. to push forward. If you're not yeah. moving forward, you're moving backwards and they don't want to move backwards. So they're just going to dig in. So does that mean that they know that they're not getting reinforcements inside of this area is what, it's what it sounds much, like that or yeah. they're attempting to secure the route for future operations, which this is on a main route. If you guys do look, you guys can see the yellow line coming in. You have E 16 coming all the way down and then also pushing a little bit West Northwest right there. 
So we're going to move a little bit east now. I want you guys to take note of Kupiansk and the logistical routes that are coming out of Kupiansk that move south towards Izium and over here to Severe Nadesk. Now, yesterday, we know that there was an assaulting element from the Russian forces that tried to establish a bridgehead over the Seversky Donetsk River, just about right here. Okay, now this river flows right here from west to east, going a little bit east, uh, northeast, right there. So this river system right now is actually... I guess it's, it's mainly just the frontline trace of the Russian military inside of this area. They're trying to attempt to get a flanking maneuver, a flanking element around, as we can tell, to cut off Severe Nadesk and or uh, the, the elements that they have inside of Lyman and just south of Yampol. So they're trying to get a force all the way across. Now, that being said, yesterday they lost roughly two dozen men and roughly 10 vehicles trying to get across. Now, as I am making this video, there is an attempt to, by the Russians to actually push through the town of Bilohorvika. Bilohorvika. There's an ongoing assault that they're trying to push across right now with another bridgehead. And for everybody who does not know what a bridgehead is, just imagine a giant vehicle that comes and lays down a pontoon bridge. So then uh, the infantry vehicles, the fighting vehicles, the tanks, they can roll across. That's essentially what a bridgehead is. Now, as I'm making this video, I am seeing stuff come in. And the fact the attempt inside of this area has been repelled by Ukrainian forces and the Russian military is actually she lost several tanks and two dozen men. Ukrainian forces have said about a company-sized element of Russians was able to get across the pontoon bridge prior to it being destroyed, and they've stated that they're currently working to mop up the Russians that have made it across. So this is the second attempt just north of here in Bayer-Levika. They are, I mean, if it's very clear, it's very evident that they are trying to cut off the element inside of Severe Nadesk. I believe if you were to scroll down to Papanza, which is one of the areas that was and is now secured by the Russians. And the only reason why we talked about this this morning, the Ukrainians would want to make a tactical retreat inside this area is because there's nothing to actually defend. Yeah, why bother defending it? Why not go to a more fortified position where you can just kill them in droves when they come in? Which is exactly what we believe they have done. I don't have the exact locations what I told you guys yesterday. I hope I would today. I don't. But if you guys were to connect a line on these main routes that come all the way through here, this is what we're looking at. Look at this. They can effectively cut them off all over here in Severe Nadesk. Okay, they're trying to do the same thing they did it to the men down in Mariupol. They're going to do it just over here as well. Okay, that's what they're trying to do with these pontoon bridges. They haven't been panning out, and it's extremely expensive losses. Like you got to think about it. These 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 engineering brigades and battalions go out there, and they're losing this much equipment. This stuff they cannot replenish that quick. You're talking about a floating bridge that drives across and just flops down. And you got to use like proper tactics in order to get the damn thing down. Teach somebody how to do it. Well, yeah, like, you got to teach, you gotta teach somebody how to do. Yeah, yeah. you got to have troops on the other side to secure the far side. That's why they're getting their asses handed to them. Oh, yeah, we forgot to even touch on that. Yeah, you got to. This have, is crazy to me. Why they haven't done this? Right, you got to push people to the far side and secure the far side before you bring it in. And my guess is they don't have the capability to do it just because of the extent of the water that they're crossing. Well, I've seen it. It is a fairly wide, right. wide river, but I'm sitting here trying to, I'm, now you got me really thinking about with that type of process, why they haven't pushed an element around, secured this entire area to then push down. I don't know why they haven't done that. Can't get across. They can't get across. Why they can't, can't they across. push through this area? That's crazy to me. Hmm. Anyway, lessons learned sitting right here inside of my, inside of my office, I guess you'd say. Anyway, Ukraine County and Francis have actually retaken the northern side of Vojendika which was lost to the Russians just a few days back, which is just right here. Now, this is one of those areas I actually asked you how to say this word because your pronunciation of this stuff is much better. Vajavika. Uh, there's an arrow over the 
Vosvodica. Vosvodica. Anyway, Aye. that area was taken back, and this is very significant because it allowed the element that is on the southern half of Rubazon, as you guys can see right here. So here is Rubazon. This is still controlled by Ukrainian forces. They're now connected with Severe Nadesk. They're not being cut off. Which is, a, which is a big deal. It eliminated the possibilities from the Russians being able to flank the element inside of the southern half of Rubazon at the same time. So if they controlled, if the Russians did control this area, which they did, they're able to flank around on both sides of these and take control of either side. So that is a big deal. They were actually pushed back in there. Now, the Russian military was successful in taking the town of Nizine, Nizini. Anyway, they're just on the outer outskirts right now, and the assaulting element is trying to push through Toshvika as we are making this video. They're trying to get to this main route of P-66. As you guys can see, this main route of P-66 is the one they're trying to get into so they can actually cut off and get into severe Nadesk. But the bigger issue they're going to have with that is ambushes. Ukrainian forces are extremely good at setting up ambushes. So these main routes, granted, if they are being able to control them, they're still going to have to worry about that. Uh-huh. All right. There's even, there's so much going on inside this area. So there's stuff that I just found out that was what's going on. Uh, it seems that the Russian military is actually starting to feel a bit of the heat from the assaulting element that is coming out of Kharkiv. I talked about this. I talked about this a few times over the last week. Now they're having to actually shift some of their forces back towards Kupiansk. So I have it indicated here, as you guys can see, all these red arrows. You guys see moving back up north. They're having to shift elements of the Russian military back north towards Kupiansk because they're worried about the U- Ukrainians' assault that's coming south. I spoke about this. We've talked about this in the past. I mean, you guys, you got to realize this. This would mean that they're more than likely having to take a situational pause from about advancing in the southern half of Izium to shift their resources north to fend off a possible assault that could reach Kupiansk and then cut off their supply routes that is literally supplying all the men, which is 22 BTGs worth of men south of Kupiansk. We spoke about the fact that the men, the Ukrainian men who are down here, could push easternly over this direction, actually touch Kupians with howitzers if they get within range, which would then effectively cut off every single Russian element that is south of there from receiving supplies. That's a huge deal. <clears throat> it's a massive deal. That's, more than That's a, a massive, massive deal. deal. This has been their biggest issue this entire conflict, right. is logistical supplies and getting them to other portions yeah, of the country. Yeah, the Ukrainians know they can't take them head on, but they know they can choke them. Which they're currently doing. Right. Uh, Russian vehicles have actually been geolocated moving back north, as you guys can see inside of these vehicles. They've been taken in town of uh, Bohovika, which is just outside, which is just outside of this area right here. So these main routes, they're all taking these main routes back into Kupiansk. So, and these areas have been the largest shift right now of men from this area. I don't know how many men have moved back. I would assume they've probably moved back a few thousand because they cannot lose Kupiansk. So there is my piece on the mapping for the day. Hope it does uh, give you guys some insight what's going on inside of Ukraine. All right. So our goal has always been like not just to provide on the ground intel on like what's going on in the troop movements, the different conflicts, but what it's actually doing to the people that live in that country as well, because those people do matter. Right. Like after all, what are they fighting this war over? The people, 100%. you know, Ukraine's fighting it for their own people and Russia's fighting it for supposedly for the same people as well. Or Nazis. Right? So, yeah. Or Nazis or the yeah whatever. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, at the end of the day, the people are the ones that are going to be affected inside of these war zones. And so what are we seeing as far as what those, how those people are being affected? Well, there's about 7 million, all right? And this is like even a couple weeks stale old estimate, about 7 million internally displaced persons inside of Ukraine as we speak. 7 million. That's a lot. 
And that's not, that's not, that's not even including all the people that are currently trapped inside of these conflict areas that can't get out. Like how we saw everybody in Mariupol being mm-hmm. evac over time. Yeah. So all of there's, there's way more than the 7 million that's there, but where are they all going and how are they surviving? So a large majority of them are fleeing to key or yeah, excuse me, a large majority of them are fleeing to Lviv. However, it is like quickly filled up in Lviv. As far as rent goes, a lot of them are crashing in basements. They're crashing in people's garages and, and rent has just skyrocketed from the amount of demand that is for places to stay inside of Lviv. However, many have fled Ukraine and gone into neighboring countries. Poland itself has received 3.2 million Ukrainians since the start of the conflict. Romania has taken in 880,000 and from like Russia itself, just over 700,000. Hungary has taken in over 500, Moldova, 450,000, Slovakia around 400,000 and Belarus has taken in 27,000. Good job, Belarus. Way to go, Belarus. Thanks, Belarus. According to the UN Refugee Agency, another 5.8 million Ukrainians have moved in all across That's Europe. That's crazy. 5.8 crazy. million all across. So you got 7 million displaced inside the country, right? 5.8 million moved into Europe, plus all those other numbers that I just gave in all of those other neighboring countries. What it's equate wow. to is another humanitarian crisis with a bunch of refugees that need places to sleep. Right, they got they got to have places to go. Currently, there is over fifty thousand Ukrainians registered as asylum seekers around the world, with areas like Maripol, Donbas, Luhansk, Kharkiv, Kiev, Sumy, and many other places that have seen the destruction from this war. Numbers are likely to increase as fighting between Russia and Ukraine slows. As the forces continue to dig in, just like you just talked about, yep. the Russian forces up north. Every, I mean, as those forces dig in, people are going to be able to move a little bit easier around those conflict areas. Right, they're going to slowly start trickling out of those areas. The ones that have been trapped in are going to start coming out and are likely to be evacuated by one side or the other. The question is, where are these 7 million plus people going to go when Ukraine continues to fight? Right, like what are they going to do? They can't, they can't stay in this situation forever. So, where are they going to go when the fighting's over? Because it's going to take years for this, this country to rebuild. The international community has taken notice of what's like happening in Ukraine, right? It's, 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 and it's because, largely in part, that all of these people are moving to these European countries. So the international community is 100% taking recognition of what's happening. If we haven't been watching on CNN and the news and whatever it is that these people watch out there, right? They, the international community is filling it with these people in their backyards. Europe's getting tired of taking in refugees from war zones. I promise you that. They've taken them in from Syria. They've taken them in from Afghanistan. They've taken them in from Iraq. And now they're taking them in from Ukraine. And that doesn't even count the freaking refugees from like Africa, for example. Yeah. Right? So at some point in time, the international community is going to want to get involved, right? They're going to want to get involved in one capacity or another. And I think the way that's going to come through is with the UN and the UN is taking notice and they have been for some time. The United Nations Human Rights Council will hold a special session on Thursday to address alleged Russian human rights violations by Russia inside of Ukraine. This is at request from the Ukrainian government. Over 50 countries to include the U.S., Britain, Turkey, and Germany will discuss the deterioration of human rights situation in Ukraine stemming from the Russian aggression, quote unquote. Wow. So you're telling me the UN's going to actually come in and do something? Well, kind of. So if agreed upon on Thursday, the UN will ramp up its efforts to provide a detailed account of the supposed war crimes that Russia has committed in regards to Ukraine civilians. So essentially what they're going to do is they're going to go and they're going to document everything because they want information. They don't want to, like we talked about numerous times on this podcast, there's a ton of propaganda on both sides. Yeah. Right. And so the UN is going to go in and they're going to document specifically what they consider war crimes against the civilians and then determine what response they'd want to have out of it. But all that has to be agreed upon first on Thursday. Wow, that was a mouthful. So right. you're telling me that the UN is going to try to come in and do something about the displaced civilians in, within the country. Well, not the displaced civilians, but about the war crimes that Russia has committed within the country. God, right. So, so like Bucha, for example, like yeah. how they're complaining about it. So they want to go and they want to document all of these legitimately, one, to potentially prosecute 
Who are they going to prosecute? The, well, Let's be okay, so how could that even come to be anything? This is the real question that I have. Say the UN finds these things and they prosecute. Right. They want to say, all right, you know what, Putin or Putin's people, we're going to prosecute you. What is that going to do? Well, okay, so let's look historically at, I don't know, let's say like the Nuremberg trials. Okay, right? well, that's, a, that's quite a bit different. It is quite a bit different, but we're talking about the executing of innocent civilians, right? At the end of the day, that's what we're looking at. So you've got like the individual commanders that are giving out the orders that they should know to be unlawful and wrong. You have the individual soldiers that may or may not have committed crimes, right? And like individual countries like ourselves, for example, when we had that one nut job, um, staff surgeon go loose in Afghanistan. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like that guy, like we prosecuted him. Oh, I forgot about that guy. I, I don't see Russia doing that. Have you heard any news of Russia no. doing that? Are yeah, of course crazy? not, right? No. So so the individual no, no, soldiers, no. the unit commanders, any, anybody that's the ones that are passing down these orders are the ones that should be held accountable by the international community. Should. Yeah, but, but how are you going to get them out and actually, you can't actually, you're not going to be able to extradite them, get them to do anything. No, Russia's not going to want to extradite them. That's what I'm saying. So what, go, you're just wasting your time. Capture them, or they'd yeah. have to give themselves up. But that's or, not going to happen. They're just not going to leave Russia. No, I wouldn't. I mean, would you leave Russia? Hell no. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, I yeah. mean, they can go in and they can do all this stuff, but it's almost a posturing effect because Russia's not going to give them up. 100% will not give up their own men. And they're never going to say, because the thing is, if they give up their men, that means they actually are saying that they did something wrong. So let's let's take it to an extreme. Let, let, let's say the UN goes in and actually documents like legitimate war crimes and the evidence that they're continuing. And unless the international community does something, they're going to continue. Is the UN going to do anything? What can they do? That's what the UN, I mean, we have. That's UN what I'm troops. saying. What, what are they going to do? So if they actually go in. send in troops to Okay, stop that's it. what I was going to ask. So what if they actually go in and they do it? And now you have the United Nations that are going and sending in troops to do it. On peacekeeping roles. Okay, yeah, well, they're not going to be peacekeeping. It's literally in a war. They, no, this is, they this is, essentially this is, be peacekeeping. They'd be over like there, going, like, protecting people and saying, stop it. We're going to keep the peace here. You're not going to kill civilians. This is in Africa. I know the UN's all over Africa trying to keep peace. You know, if Putin can go over there for peacekeeping, why can't the UN? I don't know. Because then you're going to end up, because the thing, who's attached to the UN? Us? Well, yeah. That's what I'm saying, all NATO members. Right. So then you're so, literally going to have a... How is that even but it's, a thing? But it's not NATO. It's not thing. NATO going in. It's not an individual country going in. It's it's troops that have been provided to the UN and flagged UN troops. Wild. <laughs> I don't know. Wild. I don't know. That was a tough one for me to actually cut a grass. I don't. I don't know. UN peace. So yeah, division. the UN technically doesn't have its own army, as Dave Chappelle has pointed out numerous times, right? Yeah. But, but, <laughs> yeah, right, but. They they do have the ability to go in and do stuff. About I, it. I wouldn't want, want to be a part of so the UN peacekeeping. I wouldn't want to be a part of that. Bunch of European garbage. <laughs> I would not want to be a part of that at all. No, I mean they've done some good things around the world. Yeah, man. I don't they want really to be have. part of it. Yeah, I know. I'm out on it. I'm not trying to be under like the flagship nope. of a nope. UN peacekeeping mission. Nope, that would suck. So, like you said, what the hell are they going to do? <sighs> Nothing. What are they right. do? Whatever. We'll, just, we'll move on from that. We went down a rabbit hole there. Is there anything else you got that's? <laughs> Nope, not today. Other than uh, leprosy, I have nothing else. He's got leprosy over yeah. there. All right, well, I hope you guys did enjoy this video over here, this podcast, whichever you guys are listening through your ears or through your eyes. I don't know. Anyway, I do love you guys. Thanks for hanging out with me. We'll have another episode for you guys tomorrow.